And hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. Uh, you can also catch me on Facebook. And this will be a good week to also follow me on my Facebook pages. It's just Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. Uh, you'll figure out which Jake Novak. There's probably a few Jake Novaks on Facebook, but you'll figure out which one is me based on what you hear in these programs pretty quickly. Uh, and this will be a good week to follow me on Facebook because there was something that I put together earlier this week that I want to be the, the crux of, of this program, this half hour uh, now, that I also put in text form. And that is something that I just didn't think worked as well on Twitter. So I, I put it on Facebook, uh, and it's just a number of points I wanted to make about uh, what a number of rabbis should be doing for Yom Kippur, it, depending on what they did two years ago uh, uh, concerning President Trump. So I'm going to get right into that because it's important for us to remember a couple of things. Um, a couple of ground rules for those of you who don't uh, aren't, aren't very either conversant or fluent or, or, or familiar with some basic tenets of Jewish law and Jewish practice. Um, if you went to a Jewish school, certainly an Orthodox school or modern Orthodox school uh, or yeshiva, you quickly learned about the rules of Lashon Hara, or Lashon Hara, as it's usually said, um, which is a catch-all for not just uh, uh, gossip, not just slander, not just not speaking nicely of someone. It's also, you know, it, it's a larger rubric. It's not, and you learn this in, in Yeshiva. I did, you know, you learn about different levels of Lashon Hara. Literally translated, it means evil tongue, so... Speaking ill of someone is clearly the best way to translate Lashon Hara, but there's not just that. It's also sometimes even if it's true. In other words, if you know somebody isn't such a good person and he isn't necessarily a danger to anyone about it, it's just something that you want to say, even that's forbidden. You're not supposed to go around saying, hey, you know that guy over there, he, 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 uh, he litters. Now, it, it could be if you were quietly speaking to his parents or, or someone in his family, say, hey, listen, you know, you got to tell your husband, stop littering. That's not, that's not Lashon Hara. So even if it's true, though, you're not really supposed to go around doing that if, if the only purpose is just to defame somebody or make someone feel bad or look bad. And of course, the worst is when you, you make up stuff that isn't true and you spread that around. And so that's, again, it, it, it's not like other religions and other groups and other non-Orthodox Jewish you know, uh, denominations don't talk about this. It's just it's a big, theo- big thing in the Orthodox community, and you can see why. I think there's a sociological reason for it more than just a halakhic reason. The sociological reason being that in most cases, even in Israel, Orthodox communities tend to be more insular. There's more, uh, just kind of, for lack of a better euphemism people are kind of all on top of each other all the time and so lashon hara gossip talking about each other becomes much more natural in those situations and so it's something that you just hear more the more orthodox the more observant the jewish community the more you're probably going to hear rabbis and teachers and and others talking about the problem of lashon hara and what you're supposed to do about it of course really the great great scholar who talked a lot about this in the not-so-recent past, the not-so-distant past, I mean to say, is the Chafetz Chaim, who wrote a whole treatise called Guard Your Tongue. And, you know, that stuff is still relevant today. It's amazing to have something written like that in a time before the telephone, in a time before uh, the Internet. And it's still quite relevant. So all those things are important. It's one of those things that 
it isn't certainly, it's very often not considered the highest level of intellectual discourse, even within the Orthodox community. But you know, it's very, very important. And obviously it's important in the secular community as well. And I really feel that rabbis from all denominations, including Orthodox, although this clearly was something that more conservative and reform rabbis were guilty of, although I'm sure there were Orthodox rabbis who fell for this thing too. But this was all part of, I really noticed a tremendous example of Lashon Hara, of, in this case, out-and-out slander, although I don't think it was deliberate on everyone's part who, who, who spread this. But the deliberate misunderstanding, misquoting, and misconstruing of President Trump's comments two years ago, because it is now two years. August 17th will be the two-year anniversary of the horrible weekend that they had in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville, Virginia, of course, being the home of the University of Virginia, where, coincidentally, my father taught for many years. Uh, wonderful university, and a wonderful town, by the way. Um, it's not a great town if you're an observant Jew. Not because of any anti-Semitism, that's not why, just because, you know, I don't think that there's a kosher butcher there. I know there was really only one permanent shul there. You probably can scrounge up a traditional minion at the University of Virginia once in a while, but it's certainly not a regular thing. So uh, that's my long way of saying that when my parents, when my father was teaching at the University of Virginia, they did not live in Charlottesville because they could not live a an Orthodox life there or, you know, a Torah-observant life there. So they lived in Richmond, which had two Orthodox synagogues, and to be honest, it was a schlep. I think it was a 62 or 63-mile schlep for my dad every day to work. Uh, it wasn't every day. I mean, he was a, he was a tenured endowed professor, endow, you know, the endowment from the Bromf, Edgar Bronfman family, by the way. So thankfully, he didn't have to go in five days a week. But even the, the three or four days that he was going in every week, especially in the winter in that mountainous area that Charlottesville is in, it became kind of a schlep for him, but he did love the University of Virginia. They did love Charlottesville, and they often mention that if they weren't Jewish, they wouldn't mind retiring to Charlottesville. They have a nice hospital. The university has all kinds of cultural events. It's a very walkable area. Um, Charlottesville is a lovely place. And I don't want to go into the entire history of how this march and how this whole event in Charlottesville started, but to give you the brief Cliff Notes version, there was a park in Charlottesville that, featured, that was named after General Robert E. Lee that had some statues, or one statue of Robert E. Lee, and they were going to take the, his, the statue down, and they were going to change the name. Now, you might be surprised by my take on this, based if you've been listening to Novak now for a while, you'll know that I'm not in favor of a lot of politically correct revisionist history. But I have to tell you, if you really study from honest scholars the history of Robert E. Lee, and if you really study it fairly, and I think one of the best depictions of Robert E. Lee is actually not even a book about him. He's a, obviously a major character in Ron Chernow's book about Ulysses Grant, which I highly, highly recommend. And, if I, and I will tweet out the link to buy that book. It's a, it's a relatively new book, just a couple of years old, about Ulysses Grant. But obviously Robert E. Lee is a very important character in that book. And if you don't feel like reading a whole book about Robert E. Lee, read the whole book about Grant because it's fantastic. But in many instances, Ron Chernow, a historian whom I, I trust in, implicitly, and I've met him personally a number of times, uh, Robert E. Lee doesn't come off so great. You know, I grew up a lot in the South, and the story they used to feed us in the South was that Robert E. Lee really didn't like slavery, really didn't like secession, but he was so, so loyal to the state of Virginia, he just had no choice but to become the, the lead general of the, of the Army of the Confederacy. Um, spoiler alert, that's not true. He was, even for his time, not such a good guy on race. Uh, and certainly after the war, wasn't very helpful in that area and was not really a good person. I'm not saying he's a dishonorable person. It wasn't like he committed war crimes, and it wasn't like he was 
horrifically cruel to anyone or anything else like that. And he certainly didn't um, deliberately put his people, his, the soldiers under him, into any kind of undue, <laughs> relatively bloodshed. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying he was a monster, but he was not a good person. He was not the good person, the saintly person that the South promoted. And even people in the North kind of started to take Robert E. Lee as a, as a great guy. So I'm not one of these people who thinks, oh, it's the worst thing in the world if you rename a park or two after him. I don't believe in the taking down of statues so much, as long as, although if they, if you, if they take them down and bring them to the Museum of the Confederacy or the Jim Crow Museum, where they can be studied and looked at so you can learn about the context, uh, I'm fine with that. But I, you know, I can understand some anger in that, but I, don't, I actually didn't think it was the hill to die on. But that's another story. But this march was organized, organized in Charlottesville, and very early on, white supremacist groups, neo-Nazi groups, realized this was an opportunity for them to make some kind of news for themselves, which is what they always love to do. Um, they are a very small number of them in, in America. There was a very small number of these folks, always has been, uh, at least since the, in the last 60 or 70 years or so, certainly since the end of the, the high point of the civil rights movement. Of course they exist, of course they're dangerous, there's individual lone wolves who consider themselves white supremacists, but they're not the kind of people who are like going to a meeting and have a hood on. These are lone wolves just like there are lone wolves of uh, Islamic terrorism, terrorists. It doesn't mean that these groups aren't dangerous, it doesn't mean that these guys aren't dangerous who do these kinds of things, it's just that I don't think this is an epidemic level problem in the general population. Is it a problem where a lone wolf can cause a lot of damage and, and have in the past? Absolutely. But the idea that a significant portion of the American population is either a member of a white supremacist group or sympathetic to them is not true. Nevertheless, they found some way to get a few hundred of them. It took a long time, by the way. It took a long time to cobble together four or five hundred of these neo-Nazi white nationalist types to come down to Charlottesville, Virginia. And also coming down to Charlottesville, Virginia, were people who were just opposed to the idea of taking down the, the Robert E. Lee statue and were also marching for free, freedom of speech. And then there were a lot of anti uh, white nationalist groups, far leftist groups that were coming, spoiling for a fight. We all know what happened. Again, I want this to be the Cliff Notes version. But of course, what made the news even more than what happened in Charlottesville, sadly, which I think really should have been the big story, is, was President Trump's reaction to it a couple of days later, where he decided to focus, I think unwisely, but still honestly, he decided to focus for some moments during his press conference when they were asking him questions about Charlottesville. He decided to focus on that small group of people who did not march in the same street or at the same time as the neo-Nazis, who were there for free speech, who were there to oppose the taking down of the statue, but were not neo-Nazis or white nationalists. And for some reason, President Trump decided he wanted to praise those people, call them very fine people, say that they weren't there for a fight, say that they weren't neo-Nazis and, and, and white nationalists. I wouldn't have spent much time talking about them, but he did, and those people did exist. I've seen and spoken to them myself. I don't think they were the smartest people in the world for going down to that march the same weekend as a bunch of white nationalists and neo-Nazis. I'm not saying they're the, the biggest geniuses of the world. Some of them had some pretty good courage, though. I mean, they really felt so strongly about free speech and preserving history that they decided they needed to stand up for it. Again, that wouldn't have been my hill to die on for a couple of reasons, one being that there were neo-Nazis and white nationalists there, and I would be afraid of being lumped in with them, which is exactly what happened to those folks. The other reason being, Robert E. Lee is just not my favorite dude. But anyway, they decided to do this. President Trump decided to give them praise. And then a few moments later, he clarified again, saying, I'm not talking, I mean, I'm quoting here, I'm not talking about the white nationalists and the neo-Nazis who should be condemned totally. Well, you know, to make a long story short as you, prob short as you probably know, 
most of the news media, in fact, almost all the mainstream news media, decided not to quote the president's second comment about how he was not talking about the white nationalists and not talking about the neo-Nazis and condemning them totally. They left that out, and they conveniently talked about how he was saying they was, those were very fine people on both sides. Again, in that case, not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because that's something the president said himself. I'm not putting words in his mouth or making any excuses for him. That's, I'm saying he was talking about this other group of people that was trying to march for for First Amendment rights. And again, wouldn't have been my way to go. They did it. But the fact is they did, and, and we have no evidence that they were neo-Nazis. You know, the, the argument that immediately sprang out from the people who were somewhat honest about this after that was, well, we know the president wasn't talking about those neo-Nazis and white nationalists when he said very fine people, but those people still marched at the same time and in the same place at the exact same moment as the neo-Nazis and white nationalists. And of course, that's not true either. They actually marched separately. They may have come down there at the same time, but they didn't march at the same time. So ostensibly, when you think about it from a, from a real factual point of view here, you're, the anger at the president should be, if you're sticking with the facts, and sadly almost no one does, if you're sticking with the facts, you're angry at the president for praising a group that marched in the same zip code as neo-Nazis and white nationalists, which seems like a stretch. You, you can certainly criticize the president for that. I mean, I do. I, I don't think the president should have meant, wasted any of his time talking about that small group of people that were relatively blameless going down to Charlottesville. I, I wouldn't have wasted the time. But there's a difference between the not-so-prudent move of praising those people and saying, oh, the president praised white nationalists and neo-Nazis. He's a supporter of white nationalism and, and neo-Nazism, which is exactly what's happened in the last two years. And many, many rabbis... Again, I think from all the denominations, Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform, although, again, clearly this is a predominantly conservative and reform movement problem, a lot of rabbis got up and gave sermons in the weeks following talking about how terrible it is that you have a president of the United States saying that neo-Nazis are very fine people. And as far as I know, not one of them has had the decency to retract that statement because he never did say that. And, of course, you have an entire presidential campaign right now. Clearly, all the Democrats running for president are promoting this. But Joe Biden is doing more than just promoting it. He said in his video that he used to officially launch his campaign that this was a big reason why he was running. So not only is he promoting this lie, but he's telling the public, this is why I'm running. Otherwise, I might stay on the sidelines. But when the president called those neo-Nazis very fine people, which he didn't do, I had to run. I had to do something. I mean, the disingenuousness of that and, and I mean, either... Joe Biden is too lazy or stupid to watch the real tra- to, to watch the real videotape or to read the transcript, or he doesn't care. I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter. Not that I think that Joe Biden is a great genius, by the way, but I don't think he's that stupid that he doesn't know the truth here. He knows what the president said. He knows that the president did not praise neo-Nazis and white nationalists. He knows that. But it was close enough. I'm going to call it that, and we're going to go, and we're going to go there. And for a lot of rabbis... I think that for the most part, most of them did not do this deliberately. But let's look at why they made this mistake. You know, I can't speak for the rabbis who deliberately are lying to their congregations. I can't speak for them. I know there must be one or two who know that the president didn't say that, but they gave that sermon anyway. Those are probably the ones who really are just basically Democratic operatives in the guise of being a rabbi because, you know, there's a lot of Democratic operatives. You want to get paid, so maybe you become a poet rabbi or a Presbyterian minister or whatever it is that you can do to get a paycheck while you're really an activist. So there's probably one or two. But for the most part, I think that the rabbis who got up on their pulpits and, their bim- and you know, in, on the bima and talked about how the ter- you know, what the president said and misquoted him, I don't think they did it deliberately. But let's talk about why. Why would they do that? 
Okay, the first obvious answer is that a lot of them are opponents of the president. They're Democrats. They're liberals. I mean, if you would take a survey, if we were going to do a poll right now of every conservative and reform rabbi in America, I feel very confident that more than 70% would classify themselves as Democrats and or liberal. So that's one problem. That's one obvious issue. The second, and, and when you have a belief like that, and when you're rooting for your team politically, you're, you're much more likely to believe the worst of your opponents, or at least be very, very so eager to believe it, that, that your usual cognitive powers, your natural cognitive powers to question those things go out the window. But there's another reason here. I want you to think very closely about what you see in the conservative and reform movement in your synagogues around now. If you're listening in the New York area, you should know, hopefully you know from just your own caring about the wider Jewish community, you should know that reform and conservative synagogues are disappearing, even in the New York area. They're merging, they're not having a very strong week-to-week attendance, they're disappearing. Not all of them. There's a number of them that are, that are pretty, vi- you know, doing really well, but for the most part, there is a shrinkage and has been for quite a while in the reform and conservative movements, even in the New York area and certainly throughout the country. Now, imagine you're a rabbi of one of these synagogues in this movement that's shrinking, in this movement where drive-by Judaism for the bar mitzvah and for the death and for the wedding is the only, and for the high holidays is the only time you show up. I'll be darned if it isn't really, really tempting. If I were a rabbi of a synagogue like that, I would be very, very tempted to find something, something that can get my people fired up to be about Judaism again, to get them connected to the community in some way. And worrying and frightening them about anti-Semitism and making sure that that kind of alarm goes out is, is probably one way to do it. Although I would argue it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. Because a lot of times it just turns people off even more, and they figure, well, I'll even fade even more into the background. If there's some kind of rise in anti-Semitism, maybe I can avoid it. But that said, I think that that's the, those are the two big temptations we're dealing with here. I think if you had a rabbi, or if you know of a rabbi who gave a sermon or talked about, or, you know, or, or deliberately made that misquoting, or mistakenly made that misquoting of the president, for the most part, I think it was based on those two pressures. The pressure of being mostly liberal, and also being so worried that you don't have anything to really shake up your community and try to get them interested and get them connected. And so on Facebook this week, I wrote four key paragraphs that I would like to hear from every rabbi, and I, I think they should do it on Kol Nidre night. Why wait? Because you know, if, I, if, I, if I had a shul or, or, or a rabbi where I felt like the rabbi was going to actually almost every year or once in a while come in front of the, of the community and talk about what he personally wanted forgiveness for, that would be very compelling to me. I'd give that rabbi a shot because to me that would be a very human and smart thing to do. Let people know that you're not perfect. Here's where I made this mistake and here's how I'm going to try to fix it. And I think a lot of rabbis should really do that this year on Kol Nidre because why? Because it's two years later, and, and again, it'll be more than two years because we're talking about a Yom Kippur that will be in October, so it's not like they'll be able to say, oh, it was on the anniversary of this day. I, I get that. But because the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party a- candidates for president are making this Charlottesville lie into more and more of a cornerstone of their 2020 campaign against President Trump. Remember, the Russia collusion story, which I'm sure a lot of Democrats still believe 
hook, line, and sinker, it's not resonating with the public as well because the Mueller report fell flat. Mueller's testimony himself fell flat. It's not a, it's not a winner for them anymore. So they got to push harder on this racism stuff, which is also, interestingly, a, 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 a hoax, a, a lie, a misconception. And it makes me laugh because whereas I support most of President Trump's policies, and he has surprised me with the effectiveness on a policy standpoint. I'm not talking about him personally. On a policy standpoint, he has surprised me with the effectiveness of his policies. But because of his personality and the things that he really does, it, it, it really shocks me. You need to make up something about him to beat him in an election? Can't you just go with what he's actually said and done for real? I don't know if that will win you the election, but I, I, it'll do a lot better than a lie because the lies eventually just don't hold up. And let me give you an example why. Not everybody's on board with the lie, even on the Democratic side, even on the liberal side. The best example being Jake Tapper at CNN. And I don't know what his ratings are. He's certainly not a major, you know, he doesn't get millions of viewers. But he is a very respected journalist, for the most part, at CNN. Clearly from the left. No doubt about that. But to his credit, not that long ago on his show, he clarified many times that President Trump did not call neo-Nazis and white nationalists very fine people. And he has made that clear on his show more than once. So that's already a major problem for the Democrats. They've got a pro-Democrat liberal network like CNN with a very prominent and respected anchor. Really, when you think about all the anchors that are on CNN that have the opinion-based or... or New uh, issue-based shows, I should say. Jake Tapper is kind of high up on there. You've got Wolf Blitzer, who's respected but boring. You've got Don Lemon, who is not respected. You've got Anderson Cooper, who... I, I don't know where he's, he's doing... I don't know what his appeal is now. I think he's got a... You know, people like him personally, I think, but certainly not considered a, an intellectual heavyweight. Jake Tapper is about as good as it gets on CNN for likability and for an intellectual heft. And I don't think he's a super-duper intellectual, don't get me wrong, but, but he's, got, he's got some good gravitas going there. And this is a guy who has said more than once on his program the truth, that President Trump did not say that neo-Nazis and white nationalists were very fine people. This is going to be a very big problem for Jake Tapper. I guarantee you that if, if, and I think this is going this way, if the Democrats continue to put a tremendous amount of effort into this very fine people hoax, some bad things are going to happen to Jake Tapper. The DNC is going to demand that he retract it. CNN is going to find, ask him to find some way to retract his truth. He's going to have to lie. Either he's going to have to go on the air and lie about a truth that he told. Or I predict the DNC will start to blackball his show. They'll start telling the candidates not to go on the show. They'll start, tell, they'll start saying they don't want him moderating any debates. But if they do that, which I think they will if they continue to go down this road... It will, again, show the weakness of promoting a lie as your major campaign plank. If you do that, even if you're able to get almost everyone in line, even if Jake Tapper comes out and says, oh, I was wrong when I told the truth, uh, or whatever he says, that will show, I mean, to a lot of people who will be watching, they'll notice that this is just really a, a, a whitewash. Some kind, something, something weird's going on here, and it won't work. It was similar when... They tried to paste George W. Bush in 2004 as someone who deliberately lied about the war in Iraq. And I think a lot of people came to the conclusion that he was wrong about Iraq and wrong about the weapons of mass destruction. But by 2004, maybe after 2004, things changed. But 
by election day 2004, the majority of the American public were not, was not ready to swallow this deliberate, oh, George W. Bush got us into war for no reason, completely lied, uh, doctor to document the whole thing. When you push lies like that, it doesn't work. The public doesn't really follow the lie in the way that people, you know, a lot of pessimists think. When it's a lie and it's under that much scrutiny, it's some point of it, you know, you might be able to fool, you know, that's the old Abraham Lincoln point. You can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. You know, sounds, ho- sounds, sounds folksy, sounds, you know, not, that, not so highly intellectual, but Abe Lincoln was pretty darn smart and he's right about that. He was right about that. So I would really like, though, and I know, listen, I, I know I'm, I'm wishing for this guy here, but if there's any rabbi out there who believed this hoax, who made a mistake about it, it would be very powerful to go up there and say, look, look, you don't have to vote for Donald Trump. This is not a Donald Trump campaign speech. I still don't like him for X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to say. But it was wrong to say that he said that there were very fine people who were neo-Nazis and, and, and white nationalists because he clearly didn't say that. And he made a very big point of saying that he condemned them. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that I did that. And I'm sorry I did that because, you know, the rabbi should say, again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying what a rabbi should say. I'm sorry, you know, they should be sorry for saying that because what does the effect of saying this thing about Donald Trump have? When you say that Donald Trump is a white supremacist or helps white supremacy, what's the... What's going to happen from that? Let's say even 20% of your congregation believes that. Are they going to feel good about that? Are good things going to happen from them believing that? At the very least, they're going to be frightened and upset. But also, quite likely, they'll become quite hateful and angry. And hateful and angry people have a way of spreading more hate and anger. Know what I mean? I really think that for the sake of ratings and for the sake of interest, there is a, at least a subconscious interest on the, people who, on the part of the people who are promoting this lie in the news media to create some kind of racial war in this country. And I'm not talking about an armed civil war like with hundreds of thousands, like with troops, I'm, but I, I mean a real war of words with, with sporadic violence. I mean, that would be great for ratings, I've got to say. I'm hoping that consciously they don't want this, but subconsciously I think that there is a part of the news media that wants this. A part of the Democratic Party that wants this. And as an American of any stripe, whether you're conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, you shouldn't want this. There has to be a happy medium somewhere between pretending there's no racism, which of course there is, and we still have much, much work to do on this, and... There's got to be a happy medium between that and talking about how racism is everywhere all the time. Let's look for the racial innuendo and hatred in everything that we see. Oh, Grover is blue. Uh, Cookie Monster is blue. This must be a real thing against black. I mean, there are people who do this nonsense. We need a happy medium between the whitewashing and pretending there is no racism and the promotion of racial enmity at every drop of the hat. We've got to get there, folks. And I think we are there most of the time. But we're, we're certainly seeing a number of forces, both political and financial, that have, seem to have some interest in not getting there. And that really should disturb all of us. And rabbis in this country can really lead the way because Charlottesville was considered to be mostly a Jewish issue for some reason. I don't know why this isn't more of an African-American issue. But for some reason, this became a Jewish issue. 
And it, was ve- it would be very, very good if the rabbis who promoted this lie, again, I think almost all of them mistakenly so, came out and said, I was wrong. It was dangerous for me to promote this lie. I should have been more careful. The president has things that I don't like, and I can name them A, B, and C, but this was not one of them. And I'm glad it's not one of them because I don't want to see America devolve into some kind of racial civil war situation. Man, that would be powerful. And then throw in a little bit of, of a few words about Lashon Hara on there, and then you've got even something where you can quote some of our sages. It would be powerful. It would be nice. I know it's a stretch, but if you're interested in making that sermon and you're a rabbi who fits into this category, check out my Facebook page. This has been Jake Novak. This is the Novak Now program on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.